Welcome to SLP Learning Series, a podcast series presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. The SLP Learning Series explores various topics of speech-language pathology. Each season dives deeper into a topic with a different host and guests who are leaders in the field. Some topics include stuttering, AAC, sports concussion, teletherapy, ethics, and more. Each episode has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com and is available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Now, come along with us as we look closer into the many topics of speech-language pathology. Welcome to Season 6, Ease into AAC. As a global leader in assistive communication, Toby Dynavox understands how overwhelming it can be for families, users, and even seasoned clinicians to take on the challenges of identifying and funding an assistive communication device. We are eager to support speech-language pathologists and other professionals in assessing and implementing AAC solutions for their clients. Our website, tobydynavox.com, and our free learning hub, learn.tobydynavox.com, are full of therapy materials, classroom resources and curriculum, and hardware and software trainings to help our customers embrace AAC with confidence. Additionally, the Toby Dynavox for Professionals program allows you to register for free versions of our software to use with clients. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the podcast mini-series, Ease into AAC, presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Thanks for joining us for our first episode, an introduction to AAC. This audio course is offered for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. I am your host, Kate Thompson, and I am a certified practicing speech pathologist from Australia. I have worked with people who are using AAC for the last 10 years, and AAC is an area that I am incredibly passionate about. As the host of this podcast, I receive compensation from speechtherapypd.com and have no other financial or non-financial relationships to disclose. Before we get started as well, I'd love to know where everyone has come from today. So if you can put in the box where you're from, how long you've been working in AAC and your confidence working in this area, that'd be really good. If you can put that in the chat box now. California for a couple of years. More California, Texas, Washington or Washington State. Might need to forgive me being Australian. Florida, from Florida, but in California now. Lots more people in California. Excellent. Have we got any Aussies joining us live today? Los Angeles on your way to Florida soon. Maybe not. No Aussies. That's all right. California. Fresno. Where is Fresno? Oh, California. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> For 25 years. Wow. That's amazing. We've got someone from Oregon with 35 years experience, more people from California. I think that's what CA stands for. Yeah. Awesome. All right. That's really good. Great to see where everyone's from, what kind of experience people have had with AAC, just to help me kind of know how to, to talk today and, and where to pitch the content at. So like I said, if you do have any questions, please throw them in the box. Um, otherwise, we'll get started on today's topic, which I'll be talking about what AAC is, why it's important, best practice, which we're going to dive into deeper over the coming episodes and some misconceptions about AAC as well. Alrighty, so AAC, what does it stand for? AAC stands for Augmentative and Alternative Communication. So when we say augmentative, we mean that it supplements speech. So the person is using their AAC system as well as their speech to communicate. Alternative means that it's instead of their speech. So for someone who is non-speaking and has a different way of communicating, that would be an alternative communication system for them. It's a way for people to communicate when they can't get their message across using speech alone. 
And our systems are designed so that people can express their thoughts, their ideas, their opinions, their questions, and their stories. So it's a lot more than just requesting their wants and needs. So I want you to have a think about your your day so far today. And what kind of pragmatic purposes have you communicated for today? You may have ordered a coffee. You might have shared your opinion on something that's happening at work today. You might have expressed an idea that you've had that you think would be really great for one of your clients or your students or even your workplace. Or you might have told some stories about what happened yesterday, what's happened already, or what you're doing this weekend. Um, Today's Thursday for me, but I know it's Wednesday for you guys. So you might be starting to, to plan your weekend. And so we can see it's so much more than just requesting our wants and needs, which is where a lot of the time AAC gets focused on. In actual fact, most of the time we get our wants and needs met without having to communicate them. So when somebody needs a drink or needs to go to the bathroom or needs help with something, they're usually getting that message across in other ways or we're already responding to it because we're not allowed to let people dehydrate or starve. You know, we need to make sure that they get their their regular access to getting their needs met. So we might be requesting our wants a lot more because nobody knows what we want. And we need to make sure that people can understand what those wants are. But generally, our needs are already getting met if we can't meet them ourselves. (laughs) People are doing it for us or we just meet our needs ourselves. We'll go get something to eat. We'll go get a drink. Those sorts of things. AAC could be used temporarily. So it might be used in the acute setting just while somebody is on the ward to help them communicate with the nurses, or it might only be in certain situations. So it might be when somebody is ordering their favorite coffee or their favorite meal from McDonald's or something like that. Or it might be someone's primary means of communication for a lifetime. And for those people that are using it for a lifetime, we really need to help them learn to identify with their system as their voice. It's a part of their identity. And like our voices, when our voice is changed, if we have something like, if we have any laryngitis or anything like that, we start to lose a little bit of our identity. And we know from the voice work that we do that as people have major life changes in their life, it can impact on their voice because of the identity element of our voice and how it sounds. So much the same as somebody who's using their voice box to communicate, people who are using AAC for a lifetime need to learn to use it as if it's their voice box and include it as part of their identity. There's also a variety of different types of AAC. So we talk about these as being no-tech, low-tech, and high-tech. So when we talk about no-tech, we're talking about things that don't require any extra equipment. So this might be pointing, gesture, facial expression, sign language. It's whatever we've got on our body without needing to have any other equipment with us. Then we've got no-tech, which doesn't require a battery. So this might be picture symbol books. It could be writing. It could be using a alphabet board that people are pointing to. Something that we do require more than just our body, but we don't need a battery for making it work. And then there's systems that use technology as well. So those are things like iPads, eye gaze devices, dedicated communication systems as well, all of those sorts of things that usually require a battery to be able to work. And if we think about that, high-tech systems are probably the most similar to speech. They have voice output, they can get people's attention, but unfortunately, they do run flat or they can break. So we want to make sure we're always looking at all three of these options and having a multimodal approach to communication. So um, I have heard of high-tech systems before being described as someone with as, as a system that has some sensory needs. So they don't particularly like the cold or the wet or anything like that. So you might need to have a backup system for when somebody's in the pool or if they're going skiing or anything like that that's happening in their life. The other thing is, is 
if you're using paper, it also doesn't like being in wet, cold, muggy situations like we have here in Australia. So we want to make sure that we have something as well that can be no tech. Or if we forget our system and leave it at home, that the person can still communicate. So you want to be thinking about AAC across these three different types and having something for each one. Let me know in the chat if you have any questions about the different types and why it's important. Here in Australia, we have a funding body called the NDIS. And with that, we make sure that we always advocate for people if they're getting a high-tech system, that they always have a low-tech system as a backup. Similar to somebody that's using a power wheelchair, they should never be prescribed a power wheelchair without a manual wheelchair because they still need to have a way to get around. So same thing with our AAC devices. If somebody's using a high-tech AAC device, we have to have a low-tech system for them in the event something happens to their system. So I've worked with people that have had their AAC system break and it's had to be sent away overseas for more than six weeks at a time. And if we didn't already have a low-tech system in place that that person had learned to use, that person's now without communication for six months. And I interestingly was watching New Amsterdam the other day and there's a doctor on there that uses ASL to communicate and she needed to have surgery on her wrists. And one of her concerns with having surgery was not being able to use her hands to communicate anymore. And so the the head doctor, I can't remember his name at the moment, he wrote up some words on a whiteboard that he could point to and she could nod when it got to the word that she wanted to say. So even no tech systems, we need to make sure we're thinking about, well, what happens if this person doesn't have their regular way of communicating? So I like to think of it as a bit of a toolkit. So they might use their high-tech device for most situations, keyword sign for when they're at the pool, and a pod book for when their device is being charged or something along those lines. Having to think about across all of the environments that this person is in, do we have a way for them to communicate? The other thing with AAC is it can be accessed using a variety of methods as well. So they might use digital selection or direct selection where they're using up their finger or a part of their body, or they might use a head pointer, so something that's attached to their head for them to use to directly access the device. Or there's things like scanning, which would use something along the lines of a switch or a type of switch or eye gaze. So there's many different ways to access as well, which is really good to know. So for somebody that has a physical disability as well, it doesn't mean that there's no access to communication for them. It just means we need to get creative about the way we access the system for them. And it's really important when you're looking at access that you are liaising with other people in the team. So your occupational therapist, your physiotherapist, all of those sorts of people to see what is the best access method for the person. The other thing with access and direct selection in particular is about the size of the buttons as well or the symbols that you're using. So if somebody can direct access, so they can point themselves, but they might have a little bit of trouble grading their movements, you might need to have bigger symbols for them so that they can get that accuracy of their message. And we'll talk a little bit more about symbols and how many to have and all of that sort of thing in a little bit later on today. So who uses AAC? Pretty much anyone. Anyone who does not have autonomous communication using speech alone. And that includes you and me. So we know that the purpose of communication is to get a message across and have it be received on the other end. There are plenty of times in our days where we aren't able to use our speech to get that message across alone. So that might be if we're in a noisy environment, um, think going to the bar and trying to order a drink, or if you're over distance. So for, for me and my team, we are across the Queensland state. So we use all sorts of different augmentative communication methods to help get our message across to each other. It might be someone who doesn't understand our language. So someone who's using a different language to us or we're in a, in a country that we don't speak the language. So we might do things like gestures like for honey or something along those lines to help get our message across or even just laryngitis. So I went through a period of time where I would have laryngitis like every three weeks. <laughs> I think it was my body's way of telling me I might have needed to take a break. 
and it decided to take away my voice to help me understand that. And being a speech pathologist, I turned to all of the different systems that I had and used those to communicate instead. So I would write, I would text, and I even used some AAC apps as well on my iPad to help get my message across. And my family thought they were going to get a chance to not have me communicate with them. I love to talk and that is not what happened. So being able to have that access as somebody that is speaking is really important to me. And so what we do is we automatically create that shift. We automatically figure out, well, how can I get this message across now? A few years ago, actually, while I was still studying, I was doing a chatterbox challenge, which is where you spend a whole day not using your voice. I also decided that I couldn't write. You were allowed to write, but I had decided to try and see what it would be like for someone that didn't have access to written word as well. And I spent the day, I chose a day I had to give a presentation. And I had to catch a flight. So I purposely chose a day that was going to be harder than a day where I could have just sat at home and chilled out on the couch and not had to communicate that much. And what was really interesting was to see the different ways that I tried to get my message across still. Not only that, though, but what happened when I couldn't get my message across? What type of communicator did I become? Was I someone that got more and more frustrated that my message wasn't getting across? Or was I someone that just started to withdraw and decide, actually, you know what? It doesn't matter anyway. And interestingly, I was the the latter of the two. So when I the plane was the last thing I had to do that day. And I was so thirsty. I'd been running around all day, hadn't had anything to drink and was trying to order a drink from the lady. And I was doing what I thought was quite a universal sign for for the word drink. And she just was not getting it. She wanted to know what drink specifically I wanted. And when I couldn't tell her that, she just walked away. And so not only did I not get my needs met, but even if I wanted something other than just water, there was no way I had the ability to be specific enough for her to be able to understand. And so it was important to me to see what it's like for people that are using alternative communication methods to be able to get their message across. And I highly recommend people do that as well. Um, It was to raise funds, but you can do it just as a workplace challenge as well if you wanted to, or just for yourself to see what it's like and what kind of communicator do you become. So in terms of communication, and and what our goals are when we're communicating. Light and McNaughton have some really good information about goal setting. And communication is not an end goal in and of itself. It's a tool that helps people participate effectively and attain their goals at home, at school, at work, or out in the community. So our goal shouldn't be the person will communicate. Our goal should be that the person is able to participate in their world around us. Thinking about the ICF framework and that participation section, what is part of their world and what do they need to participate in? And have we got them a system that they're able to communicate within that? So ultimately, our goals need to be that they have the opportunity to live happy and fulfilled lives where they're able to participate fully, not just a little bit, but fully in education, employment, family, and community life, where they are safe and secure. So they generally people that have complex communication needs are more vulnerable. So we need to support them to be safe and secure in all of those environments. And that they're respected and valued for who they are. They know that what they have to say matters and they want to shout to the world who they are. They have the chance to develop friendships and intimate relationships, and they have the opportunity to make meaningful contributions to society. We all know that it's super important for us to feel like we're a meaningful part of our family, our community, and our society. And that that feeling of significance is one of the basic human needs that we all have, including people with complex communication needs. Sorry, I just saw your question about what the resource was for goals. So that's Light and McNaughton. I'll type it into the box for you. Light and McNaughton. So it's a a textbook and I can find the name of the textbook in a second to share with you as well. So yeah, we need to feel valued. We need to be able to connect. That connection is one of our other basic human needs that we all have and to feel like we're a significant part of our lives. Unfortunately, what tends to happen for people with complex communication needs is they spend a lot of time being quite passive. Things happen to them, but they've learned over time 
that that's what is expected of them as well. If they don't have a system to tell us and advocate for themselves what it is that they think and feel and and want and those sorts of things. I always, whenever I think about this, I think about a little dude who was about nine years of age when I started working with him. And he came into my session and it was the first time I met him. He had autism and he came in and he threw a blanket over his head and rocked in the corner. I was like, yep, cool. It's our first session together. It's the first time he's been here. It's a very new environment. So I spent time just getting to find out what's been happening for him talking with his mum. Over a few sessions, we slowly, slowly started to be able to interact more and more. And he really liked to build and play with blocks. So we started doing that. And I was just modeling colors on the system, on the communication system that I was using on my iPad. And I had the thought, I don't actually know what he knows. Um, he doesn't, he's non-speaking. He doesn't have a way to tell me what he knows. And so I started asking him, what color is this one? And he said pink with the device. He pointed to pink, it spoke pink and he was right. So then I thought, okay, cool. That's awesome. I wonder what else he knows. So I pulled up another color and he said yellow and he was right. And he got all of his colors 100% right with the system that I had available for him to show me what he knew. His mum burst into tears and she was so upset that she had been spending years working on colors. But because he couldn't tell her, she thought he didn't know what his colors were. And so it's really important that we don't assume that we know what somebody's cognition is like if we haven't given them the opportunity to show us in a way that they can. If we're relying on speech alone, we have no idea what their knowledge or their cognition is actually like. So from that point on, thinking about this particular definition of, of AAC intervention, he started to thrive within his environments a lot more. He used to come in, he got very cheeky. And one of and my purpose is for people to, sh to shout to the world who they are. And so that was my focus and what I was, was aiming with him. And then he started to come into sessions and he knew at the end of sessions, you say goodbye and then he could go. So he came in one day, didn't want to be there, but I hadn't shown him how to say, I don't want to do this yet. But he did know that goodbye meant the session was over. And so he came in, he said, hello. I asked, how are you going? And he says, not good because we had worked on some advocacy for things other than mad, sad and glad. And then he went to the greetings page and said goodbye and got up and left. And I was like, cool. Okay. Um, great that he could advocate for himself. Awesome sharing that message that he didn't want to be here today, but we needed to be more specific because that could look quite rude if it, it was for somebody else. And so from there, I learned that I needed to start teaching more advocacy messages for him. Like I said, he got super cheeky. He grew so much having this way to communicate and him and his family relationships improved significantly. Um, they used to not be able to go to the shops with him or out to dinner and he had a younger brother as well. And so with having this system that he could use to communicate and express himself, he was then able to build better relationships with his family as well. So Gail Porter talks about the general aim of AAC being for the person to meet their varied communication requirements which is a huge range of pragmatic functions as intelligibly, specifically, efficiently, independently, and in as socially valued a manner as possible in order to understand others and be understood. So what we're looking for whenever we're doing AAC intervention is have we ticked all of these boxes off? If we're only using core vocab, we're not supporting that person to be very specific in their message. If we are only using pen symbols on a board, we're really struggling to help that person be an efficient communicator. Or if we move the symbols on them constantly as to where to find those symbols, it takes them longer to find their next symbol that they want to say. So they're going to be slower and less efficient. We also want them to be as independent as possible. If we're facilitating their communication, which here in Australia is a banned way of working with AAC, then we're not supporting that person to be independent. And we need to make sure that we actually are getting their message and not somebody else's. It obviously needs to be able to be understood by others. So it needs to be intelligible and as socially valued a manner as possible. So thinking about 
sometimes our clients with complex communication needs, when they get frustrated, their message isn't getting across, they start to use behaviors that aren't socially valued. And so, but that's their way of trying to get their message across as much as they can. So those are the five things that I always look at. Am I helping that person become in, share their message intelligibly, specifically, efficiently, independently, and as socially valued a manner as possible, and as well for their own understanding? So communication is a fundamental human right. This is something that we don't get to give the someone the choice. It's not our choice whether somebody communicates. It's not the teacher's choice whether someone has the right to communicate. It's actually their human right. And this is something we need to advocate for on behalf of a lot of our clients. There's so much work has been done as a, as a society for people that have physical impairments. So not 100% sure in America, but in Australia, all buildings need to be accessible using a wheelchair. Any new buildings or if you're renovating a building, it needs to be changed into something that's accessible using a wheelchair. So much the same, we need to start thinking about access for communication as just as important as access for somebody using a wheelchair or a walker or something, a different way of getting around. So these are laws that we have to abide too. And what I have said in the past to particularly support workers or some teachers as well is around if we're taking away somebody's human right to communicate, we're basically neglecting this person or abusing this person's human right. And none of us want to do that. So sometimes we need to get really clear about whether you do get a choice to take away someone's system. And we'll chat about that in a bit more. So autonomous communication is that everyone has the right to say whatever they want to say to whoever they want to say it to, whenever and however they want to say it. So we can all right now, whatever we're thinking, we can just say it if we want to. We can say it however we want to say it. We can say it when we want to say it and to whoever we want to say it to. We all get that option. We have learned over time that there might be times we don't say what we're thinking or we might shape the way that we say something depending on the situation. And that's all okay. We all have the right to do that or we have the right to just say it how we want to and and not worry about the situation or the person that we're talking to. But the point is, is that we have this right. And so when we're looking at people who are using alternative communication systems, we want to support their right to be able to say whatever it is they want to say as well. The point of autonomous communication originates in the thought of the speaker. So we need to be able to say they have said it. So what I mean by that is we need to be able to say they thought something and they said that thing. So whether it's said in terms of using speech or said using their device or their their symbols or their, their keyword sign or ASL or whatever it might be, it needs to be something they've said. It can't be something that has been coerced. So we can't say, oh, say this thing. We all know that those little ones that we've worked with who can say all sorts of massive words, but they can't actually use it in a sentence. They don't have the language for hippopotamus in terms of the language construct, but they can be prompted to say hippopotamus and repeat us. And so being able to imitate is not autonomous communication. Answering a question is not autonomous communication because we framed the question and they are answering us. They, what they're doing there is exactly that, answering a question from a pragmatic point of view. And it's also not making a choice, which is one of the biggest areas I see autonomous communication get mixed up with. So if somebody is making a choice, that's, again, exactly what they're doing. They're making a choice out of the, the options that you have provided them. So if I was to say to you guys today, all right, you can pull over if you're driving, you can like leave this meeting if you're joining us live today and your workplace and your family don't know that you are available and money, time, resources, all of that is not a problem. You can do whatever it is you want to do. Your family think you're at work, your work think you're at home. Nobody is expecting you to do anything. What would you do with that time? I'll give you all the money in the world. What would you do that with that time? 
And now I say to you, okay, would you like to feed the ducks or go to the gym? Is that what you autonomously thought you wanted to do? That with no, with time, money, resources being unlimited, you would have autonomously thought, I want to go feed the ducks or I want to go to the gym. It's highly unlikely that that was your thought. And if it was, well, I'm glad I was able to guess. But that's a very important point that I was just guessing. I have no idea how to read your mind. And so being able to make a choice means we are offering some preconceived ideas of what we think somebody might want. Um, And then when they choose out of those two options that we've given them, they're making a choice. They're not actually expressing what they want to do. I hope that helps make choice making a little bit clearer. So what I see with choice making and why I talk about it is that people will say to me, oh, I gave them a choice. I said, do you want to go read a book or go and play a reading eggs game on the iPad? And they said they wanted to play on the iPad. So I got that out and then they got really upset and walked off or they threw the iPad or something like that. But I asked them what they wanted to do. And my response is always, you didn't actually ask what they wanted to do. You gave them a choice of two things and they complied. They chose something out of the options you gave them. Doesn't necessarily mean they're going to engage with whatever they chose. And so that's where we need to help some people as well to understand that choice making is not autonomous communication. At Toby Dynavox, it is our mission to empower people to do what they once did or never thought possible. As a global leader in assistive communication, we strive to provide innovative solutions, support, and resources to individuals, caregivers, and our professional partners. With a variety of hardware and software for diverse users of all age groups and with various diagnoses, we are your partner throughout the AAC journey and beyond. Learn more at tobydynavox.com. Okay, so moving on to AAC best practices. So we're going to go into these in a lot of detail over the coming episodes, but I wanted to talk to them briefly today as well in terms of what are the three best practices for AAC. One is access. So that's talking about making sure the system is accessible at all times. Two is modeling, which is consistently modeling using the system all day and in all environments. And the last one is assuming competence. So like I said before, unless you're a mind reader, you have no idea whether someone is pre-intentional or not, or if they have the cognition to learn a system or not. It's really important when you're working with AAC that you assume that they can learn and you believe in them that they can learn. You might be the only person in their world that believes that they still have the capacity to learn. You want to provide access to a system and then model, 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 model. And you might be modeling for years the same system before you start to get one or two words back. And that's where AAC can be quite hard for people. So we'll talk about that in a second, but let's chat about access first. So when I talk about access, I'm talking about that the person is able to get to their device or their system all day, at all times, and in all environments. So that means in the shower, on the toilet, when they're in bed, means on the playground, in the classroom, at home, in the community, in the car, at the restaurant, all of those times and in all of those environments, they need to have a way to access their system. It may not always be on them at all times, but they have a way that they can signal to their communication partner, I have something to say. And that's really important because sometimes our systems can't go with us everywhere on our bodies, but they, our communication partners must be carrying them around at all times. And we need to be able to say to our communication partner, I have something to say, I need my system. And that that person produces the system without any hesitation. It's really important when we think about access that this is our way of supporting people to know that their voice matters and what they have to say matters. And what I regularly hear from, particularly from when I've worked with some teachers in schools, is that what if they're babbling using the device, which is a term we talk about, we use when someone's first learning to use their system. Can I turn it down? 
And I say to them, what would you do if this person was using their voice box? You can't go in and turn off their vocal folds or just make them a little bit quieter. There's no little buttons that we can have or remotes for a voice box. So we need to think about that as the same thing for someone using AAC. What would I do if this person were verbal? And in that event, we would be teaching. We would be talking about consequences and why they need to put their hand up first rather than interrupting the teacher, all of those sorts of things. We teach people who use their vocal folds to communicate. But for some reason, we think that because someone's using a device, we can just take the device away or we can turn the device down. And just like I can't go in there and grab your vocal folds and say, no more talking for today, I've got things to do, we can't take away somebody's device either. Again, like I said, if they're not able to actually carry around the system, they need to have a way to initiate. And then that helps them learn that what they have to say really matters. And we value what they have to say. Gail Porter does a really great presentation that's illustrated by her, her daughter, Eleanor, of this, these two children in a classroom and one child's in a wheelchair and one child is independently mobile. The child in a wheelchair has a device, has a communication book, but it's on the table and he can't reach it. And the child that is independently mobile uses their voice to communicate or their vocal folds to communicate. They use speech. And they're talking away. They're having a class discussion. And the child with the, with, who uses speech to communicate is saying her message, and she's getting her message across. The boy who's using alternative communication systems is thinking lots of really important thoughts and opinions and ideas and questions that, have, that are rich and have to do with the, the conversation that's happening but his system is on the table and he can't access it. In that moment, do you think he feels like what he has to say is valuable? No. He's learning, well, because I don't have access to my system, I have no way to communicate my thoughts, so I'm going to sit here passively. And over time, he will learn that what he has to say doesn't matter. It's not valued by his communication partners. And what's really important to realize is by doing that, it's the same thing as gagging a speaking child, which is illegal. None of us would ever do it. But it's the same exact thing if we wanted to stop the speaking child from talking. We're gagging them and they would then learn that their thoughts, opinions, feelings, anything they want to communicate is not valued as well. So when we think about access, this is the first thing. The first thing that we need to do is make sure all of the communication partners are on board and have a way of supporting that person to access their system at all times. And as I said before, if we're thinking multimodal, we need to think about all the different situations that someone is communicating and have they got a system that matches that situation that they're within. So if we talk about modeling as number two, that's where we model along this with the communication system while we're talking. So you always want to be talking while you're modeling. Our end goal, when we think about being specific, intelligible, efficient, independent, and as socially valued a manner as possible, that's speech. So our end goal is still speech. It's not like we're giving up on speech entirely. What we're doing is supporting somebody to communicate in the event that they don't have speech to communicate themselves. Um, and that's still okay. It's still a valued way of communicating. But if we stop using our voice when we're modeling a, an AAC system, then it kind of goes against the person being able to learn to use speech as well. So we want to model both. We also want to model a variety of words, messages, and sentence structures. So we want to be modeling nouns, prepositions, verbs, determiners, adjectives, all of the different types of words that make our communication rich and meaningful. A lot of the times people will focus on core words because that's what makes up most of our communication. But if you do that, you are not able to communicate anything it is that you ever want to say, especially not specifically. Like I said before, on the plane, I could sign drink, but if water isn't what I wanted, not that I got any drink, just walked away. <laughs> but even if water wasn't what I wanted, if I wanted a coffee or a wine and I wanted a white wine, or if I wanted an orange juice, 
how was I going to get that specificity across if I only knew core words alone? So it's important that we're modeling both types of words, fringe and core vocab. We also want to model different types of messages too. So when we're thinking about messages, what are the pragmatic purposes of communication? So we want to advocate. We want to decline. One of my favorite sessions was this young female who was, I was singing. She really, well, I thought she really loved singing, just apparently not mine because she went into her, her communication system and said, I have something to say. I don't like it hurts me. And I was like, oh, rude. <laughs> but how incredible that she was able to advocate and to tell me that my singing was hurting her. And when I stopped singing, she said, I have something to say. I like it better. And I was like, awesome. Okay, I'll stop singing for you now. <laughs> but she liked music, just not my particular singing style. And that was awesome, advocating for yourself and, and telling us things that, um, that they might not have been able to do in the past. Also thinking about all your other pragmatic purposes, to say I love you, to tell a joke, to tell a story about something that's happened or something you're really excited about that's coming up, to be able to request what you want, not just what you need, but what you want, All of to tell a lie even. That's a pragmatic purpose that we all have the ability to do. So have we gotten that person away and are we modeling all of the different messages? And then the other thing is sentence structures. So modeling all of the things that make up our sentence structures too, like past tense, whether it's a noun verb object or those sorts of different sentence types, making sure we're modeling all of those because they're important for the way we communicate. It's also really important to be natural. So we all learn language naturally. And just like we can't expect to be fluent in French or Italian or Mandarin just by going to class once a week or once a fortnight, we can't expect someone to learn to use an alternative communication system unless they're fully immersed in that system. And when we say fully immersed, it means being natural. We all know that the best way to learn a second language is to go and live in that country that uses it all day, every day. And they aren't using it in a fake setup scenario like what we would do if we were going to a language class at home. And so making sure that when we're thinking about our modeling that we're still natural, we're still having conversations. You can't really plan an AAC system because if you're planning an AA, sorry, an AAA oh goodness, sorry, an AAC session, because if you're planning your session, you're not having natural conversations. You're setting up fake situations that you're going to communicate about. You might have some toys or some books or some games that you're going to play, but you don't know what kinds of words or what kinds of stories you're going to want to talk about until you're in that situation. And that's how natural communication happens. It's also important to model making mistakes like I just did then. I couldn't get AAC session together to, to say in a, in a row. And so it's important that we model that we make mistakes and, and it's totally okay to make mistakes and to recast and to reformat how we're saying something. Actually, I'm just thinking about a, another girl that I worked with who has a, an alternative communication system, could use it beautifully but chose not to. And when we got down to the bottom of why that was, she was terrified of making a mistake because she'd never seen anybody use it without making a mistake. All of her speech pathologists in the past, her parents, everybody had learned to use this system really, really well before showing it to her so that they could make it as efficient as possible. But by doing so, she learned where to find everything, but she didn't learn what to do if she made a mistake. And she didn't learn that making mistakes with the system is okay. So I come along, I hadn't used that system before. And so just because I hadn't used her particular system, I was able to bumble my way and show her that we all make mistakes when we're learning and it's okay. And even when we're not learning, we still make mistakes and this is how we can fix it up. So it's important to model those as well. And like I said before, modeling all modes of communication, so speech, symbol, and sign, so that that person has a toolkit of ways to communicate in whatever environment or situation that they're in.
So Jane Corsten has this really good quote that I think helps really cement why modeling all day, every day is important. So the quote goes like this. By 18 months, babies have heard 4,380 hours of spoken language, and we don't expect them to be fluent speakers yet. And if we think about 18 months, we're looking at maybe 10 to 20 words at 18 months that we're expecting, but they've had 4,380 hours of exposure to words and language. If AAC learners only see symbols modeled twice weekly for 20 to 30 minutes, it will take them 84 years for them to have the same exposure to aided language as an 18-month-old has to spoken language. So this really highlights the importance of that immersive language acquisition and why it's important that everybody is modeling this person's system all day, every day. And if we're thinking 84 years for the, if we're only, if they're only being exposed to symbols for 20 to 30 minutes twice a week, that's for them to learn 15 to 10 to 20 words, right? If we think about what would an 18 month old have at the same age. Obviously, at 84 years of age, if they only have 15 to 20 words, we haven't done a very good job in terms of supporting them to be autonomous communicators. So when I work on AAC, the two biggest things that I focus on are making sure we're on the same page, me and the communication partners, about the importance of access and modeling. And I talk about modeling all day, every day, and in every situation. And if we're not on the same page about that, I don't move forward because there's no point. We need to make sure that we're on the same page before we start to focus on anything further. The other thing that's important when we're thinking about modeling is, like I said, over 18 months, we're expecting about 10 to 20 words. If you spend 18 months working with a client and they've got 10 to 20 words, generally, most of us would say, oh, this isn't working. We need to change the system. But if you keep changing the system every 12 to 18 months because you're not getting as many words as you expect, it's like me coming in and going, okay, now I need you to learn Spanish. Okay, now I need you to learn Mandarin. And now I need you to learn Latin. And I'm just changing the system or the language system on you every 12 months. And you're going to need to start again. And so rather than you know, reflecting and going, oh, maybe this isn't the right system for them. We need to check in and go, well, have we actually been modeling enough? And this, if we're thinking 18 months for someone who's typically developing, maybe we need to give them even longer. Maybe we need to be looking at 24 months or 36 months before we start to think that this system isn't the right one for them. So it can take years of AAC modeling for us to start to get the same words back that we would expect for a typically developing child. The other thing to think about is looking at communication opportunities. So that's what you're looking for when you're looking at modeling. So you want to look at those opportunities throughout the day, such as greeting or farewelling others, expressing feelings. But when we express feelings and model feelings, it's really important not to just focus on mad, sad, and glad. If we focus on those three things, mad, sad, and glad, we're going to end up with a lot of people that have bipolar. (laughs) And so we need to express things like excited or moody or tired or grumpy or all of those other feelings that we have, disappointed, all those nuanced feelings that aren't the extremes of the emotions are just as important in conveying. Expressing opinions, expressing that something's wrong, answering and asking questions, asking for something, telling a joke, all of those things we talked about before are really important for us to be modeling those different types of messages. So to finish up, we're going to go through some myths of AAC, which uh, I've gotten from Speechy Musings, AAC training guide. So this was the one that I've got was written in 2018. So I'm going to go through some of the myths that are discussed in there. And these are common myths that come up or misconceptions that come up when you're working with AAC. So the first one is I should start with a small or easy to learn system and then change it once the person demonstrates the ability to use the system. So I hear this all the time. Should I just start with a 12 cell board and then I'll look at moving to adding another one and then another one and then maybe a high tech system. And my answer is always start with where you mean to end up. 
So start with a robust AAC system that the person can grow with and it can grow with the person. When you're looking at AAC, you want to be thinking about what's the system they can use now and in five years and then in five years after that. They might need to change it slightly, but it should be relatively the same system so that it can grow with them from being a young child to a school-age child all the way through to being an adult in their working lives. When you're learning a new system, it can be a huge cognitive load. And if if we change it on the person, we're constantly asking them to start over. So like I said, with that example of saying, okay, now you've got the basics of English, we're going to teach you Spanish and you're not allowed to use English anymore. And now that you've got maybe two or three words in Spanish, so you haven't acquired it fast enough for me. So now I'm going to throw in Mandarin and you're not allowed to use those Spanish words anymore. That's the same thing that we're doing if we say, okay, let's start with a pod book or a pod on a Dynavox and then we change it to lamp and then we change it to something else and then to something else. Every time we do that, we're asking somebody to learn a new language. The next myth that's pretty common is I should limit the number of words in an AAC system based on the person's cognitive level. So as I said earlier, unless you're a mind reader, you don't know what that person's cognitive level is. And unless you've given them a way to communicate what they know, we don't know what their cognition is. And so we need to be assuming competence and making sure that the person has access to symbols that they might want to say at any time or vocab that they want to say at any time. Thinking about typical language development, we don't limit the number of words that a baby is exposed to because we don't think they understand. They hear every single verbal word that is spoken around them when they're awake. I know they sleep a lot, but when they're awake, they hear every single word that is spoken around them. And although we don't expect them to be able to say it and to use it in a sentence straight away, they're learning and they're mapping concepts onto those words all through life, like we all do, all through life, but it starts from the day they're born. And so when we are thinking about somebody using AAC, we also need to remember that they're mapping language onto their system and concepts onto their system as well. And so the more that they learn and that they're exposed to, the more they're able to see how language can be used flexibly. One of the things I see all the time is people learning AAC through scripts. They learn that they come in and they say, hello, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Can I please do this? And it's all very scripted language. But then you ask that person to use the word can somewhere else and they have no idea what the word can means conceptually. They've learned how can works in this bigger sentence because they've learned it as part of a script. So the more they see that language is flexible and they can use it flexibly, the more important that is for them as well. When you are thinking that the only reason I would ever limit somebody's access or how many symbols are on a page is around their access. So like I said before, if they might have some trouble with grading their movements, I might have more bigger symbols, which means less symbols per page. And that's the only reason I would ever do that. Those words still need to be findable somewhere in the system. It might just be more levels deep or more layers deep in the system. And by doing that, it's important to know that it's probably going to be more frustrating for you as well because it's going to take you longer and them to find the word. I worked with another young girl who the school had said, oh, I think it's really visually overwhelming for them. Can we make less symbols on a page? I had 60 symbols to a page. And I had advocated and advocated and advocated and they were still coming back with, I think it's too much, I think it's too much. So I was like, okay, let's trial a smaller size. They wanted 12 symbols to a page. So I said, right, let's trial that. The next week I came to that school, they were like, please, 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 please put it back. It takes way too long to find the words. We're all getting frustrated. She's like bashing the device because she wants it to go faster. But they needed to experience that for themselves. <laughs> All the advocacy in the world wasn't wasn't helping in that moment. And so sometimes we need to do that too to help people understand. One of the things is that I should only provide access to core vocab as that makes up most of what someone has to say. We've talked about that already. If you're only using core vocab, you're not going to get a very specific message. And I encourage you to go away from after today and try and tell a story using only core vocab words. And you'll see how hard it is to get your full message across and get specific. 
So it's important to always have access to both, both core vocab and fringe vocab. People need to be able to sit still, pay attention and respect property to be able to access their communication system. So something I hear a lot, from, particularly from families, is, oh, I don't want them to break the iPad or I don't want them to rip the book or the, the symbols up or the pages up or something like that. And my response always is, is if they're using it that much or that they're engaging with their system that much, that it breaks, that's awesome. That's what we actually want. The last thing I want to see is a pristine book given back to me because that tells me that it hasn't been used. I want to see it getting dirty and ripped up and messy and the pages glued back together or sticky taped back together because they're using it and using it like anything we use, it's going to end up becoming a bit rough around the edges. So it's respect for property isn't a huge important precursor to AAC. There's actually no prerequisites to using AAC. Sitting still and paying attention, you've those that have joined us live today, you're watching me present today and I'm moving around a lot. I'm not sitting still. I'm moving and engaging in the content that I'm talking about with you guys today and paying attention. You know, we like think about yourselves in a day when you might be trying to have a meeting with someone, but your, your watch is going off with a message and your attention is slightly changed for a second to quickly see who was that that messaged. We don't have 100% attention to our communication partners. We think we do, but we generally don't. And so it's the same thing for the people we're working with. Just in general, though, like again, like we wouldn't duct tape someone's mouth closed, we can't take away someone's access to communication based on their behavior. And usually behavior is some form of communication. And so we don't want to say, well, until you're good, you're not going to get your system. Until you're sitting nice and still and showing me your listening ears, you're not going to get your system. That teaches them that you're in charge and that this system is yours, not theirs. And it is theirs. And we need to help them learn that. People need to be able to recognize and understand symbols to be able to use AAC. And again, that's also a myth. If I made up an AA system full of Japanese characters, you may know what Japanese characters are, but if you if you don't, I can show you that system and I can hold it up to your face and I can model. And after a couple of models, you'll learn what that particular character means, even if it has nothing to do with the actual meaning of the character. And that's because when we're learning something like touch typing, for example, our motor automaticity and our motor patterns are what help us learn things like symbols and AAC. So I don't need to have a cognitive representation of what that Japanese character means. If you tell me it means swim, I'm going to believe you. And I'm going to learn that that character in every single place on my board, if it's always in that same spot on that same page, it means swim. I'm going to go with that and assume it means swim. So you don't actually need to be able to recognize those symbols. And the last one, which is a big one, and I feel like as a society, we're moving on from this a little bit, but it still does come up, is that we shouldn't introduce AAC if we want the person to talk verbally, that it might slow them down or they'll just learn to use the device instead. And along with the fact that research has completely debunked this and has actually shown it's going to help people to learn to use speech, if they choose to use their AAC system instead, why would we stop them? You know, we talk a lot about neurodiverse affirming practice. And if somebody is choosing to use an alternative communication method because that's what they feel more comfortable using, why should we be the ones that say, no, you have to use your speech instead or, or their parent or their teacher or whoever it might be that's trying to take away their system? The other thing that's really important with AAC is that it slows us down. So it actually gives us a reason to slow down and model our language a little bit more clearly, which helps people to process the language easier as well. And then once they start to use it and their message is understood, they start to get success and success breeds success. So then we want to keep trying and we want to try something else and we want to do it again. It's like going to the gym or wanting to lose weight. If we go to the gym and we, we don't lose weight immediately, we're like, oh, that hasn't worked. And we you know might drop off going to the gym. And so same thing with AAC. If they start to have success with communication, then they're more likely to try it again and try it again. And eventually they might be more likely to try something that's a little bit harder, which might be their speech. 
And just before we finish up, there's a really good quote from Buchelman that it is from 1991, so it's a bit old. But she states that having a communication device doesn't make you an effective communicator any more than having a piano makes you a musician. So when we're thinking about AAC, just because we've given someone access to an AAC system or just because they own an AAC system doesn't mean they're an AAC user. We need to help them be able to use their system to be an effective communicator just like having a piano at home doesn't make you a musician unless you actually learn how to play the piano. So, are there any questions on today? I will share the references in the chat. So, thank you for sending that through. If there's any other questions, please put them through. What was the suggestion for a system to be used with water? Sign. So we would use something like keyword sign, something that they've got on their body. And it it may also be some sort of like a, a rubber band or um, one of those bands that you get from conferences or something like that that says, I have something to say, I need my system. So the person might get their, your attention, they might wave um, or they might shout out um, and then they might hold up their band that says, I have something to say, I need my system. And then we bring it over to the edge, dry their hands and then they're able to communicate using their system. Otherwise, you might have sign. But if you're only relying on sign, I don't know what it's like over in America, but in Australia, most people don't know what Auslan is. And, and so using sign alone, people aren't able to communicate with whoever they want. So we need to make sure that we have other ways for them to get their message across as well. I do have another question come through. So do you place all 60 symbols on the AAC board device or system and add more messages as they learn or use a smaller number? So I would always have all words available. Um, I know that most systems have the ability to hide symbols or to start with a small amount and then add more as the person learns to use certain words. I highly recommend you don't do that because you need to be able to access the words that you want to model. And the person that's learning the system to communicate needs to be able to access the words that they want to say when they want to say them. So I would never hide any symbols. If the person accidentally says a word that they don't mean in the sentence, I provide natural feedback. Just like if somebody said a word that didn't make sense in a sentence with me now using their voice, I would say, did you mean to use that word? It doesn't quite make sense. So being natural and giving that feedback is what helps people to learn, oh, I didn't actually mean this word, I meant the one over there. So I need to be more specific next time. Teresa has asked, has said she's new to AAC and a preschool autism program. Do you have suggestions and or resources for the younger students? Yeah, absolutely. So I would use a robust system still for people as young as 12 months of age. So I would still be modeling a pod book or a, an actual device from as little as 12 months of age. If the person has something like cerebral palsy, and we know about that a lot earlier, I'd be modeling from the second that we can model. Because if we think about children and babies learning communication, they're exposed to verbal language so much before we expect one or two words back. You know, we usually start to see one word around nine, 10 months of age, but they've been exposed to language for nine or 10 months before we expect one word back. And so I would be using robust systems very, very early on from the beginning. You can make your own symbol boards and that sort of stuff um, through places like Boardmaker or Symbol Sticks, all of those sorts of places you can make your own symbol boards. But yeah, I would be making sure that it's still robust and that it still has access to all the different language. A really good way to figure out what sort of language to model is to listen to the person's peers. So if there is a speaking person in that preschool classroom, what kind of words are they using and how many different words are they using? Because that's how many words your person needs to have access to as well. What AAC software do we use in Australia? We use all sorts of things. So we use LAMP, Unity, Pod, Snap. Yeah, we use a whole heap of different systems, probably all the same ones that you guys are using over in America or in other places in the world. We also use Boardmaker a lot to make a lot of symbols or, like I said, symbol sticks. And then obviously 
we use keyword sign, but our version of sign is Auslan. We don't do ASL, but they're relatively similar. All right. So just to close us off for today, throughout this rest of the series, we're going to go into information about assessments and how to do modeling in a little bit more detail, important considerations, working within the school setting, because I know that can be a little bit trickier to navigate, as well as some professional supports and what what other supports are out there for you to access. And thanks so much for joining everybody and have a great day. Thank you for joining us for tonight's course. To complete the course, you must log into your account and complete the quiz and the survey. If you have indicated that you're a part of the ASHA registry and entered both your ASHA number and a complete mailing address in your account profile prior to the course completion, we will submit earned CEUs to ASHA. Please allow one to two months from the completion date for your CEUs to be reflected on your ASHA transcript. Please note that if this information is missing, we cannot submit to ASHA on your behalf. Thanks again for joining us. We hope to see you next time. Thanks for joining us at SLP Learning Series. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. If you like this and want to hear more, we are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word SLP Learn for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code. Visit speechtherapypd.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today.